The second annual Climate Solutions Week begins September 17th and runs to the 25th. Hudson Valley Climate Solutions Week is an effort to focus attention on the climate emergency with a series of events throughout the region. With us now is Sean Daig, coordinator of the Hudson Valley Citizens Climate Lobby, to talk about Climate Solutions Week and what are the next steps in Washington for federal policy. Sean, welcome to the program. Before we get into what's happening in the Hudson Valley, I gave a very brief description on what Climate Solution Week is all about. Please tell us more about what is happening this week. Yeah, for sure. So um, Climate Solutions Week is is a uniquely Hudson Valley event. There has been for uh, many years now a climate week that was uh, in New York City based on when the UN was in session dealing with particular climate activities. And starting last year, uh, we, a whole coalition of different climate environmental groups, pulled together Let's talk about solutions. Let's talk about solutions to the climate crisis and um, in all the different ways that we can address it. There are so many possibilities and so many ways that that individuals throughout the Hudson Valley can engage with the solutions they most resonate with. And so it was, let's create this potpourri of these solutions, do a full week of programming, all sorts of different groups doing you know, presentations, interactive workshops, um, so that people can see how they fit into being part of the solution um, and not just being uh, concerned about the climate crisis, but how do they help? Exactly right. Like, this is a global issue. And here, sometimes you could feel like, what can I do to help the climate crisis that we are having? And this is like the week that you can find out how can you participate in being part of the solution. What are some of the dangers that we are facing here in Hudson Valley when it comes to climate change? Yeah, so uh, for us in the Hudson Valley, um, the story of climate change is going to be a lot about the story of water. Uh, So warmer air holds more water, and this leads to more increased flooding events. So we saw that last year, right? We saw uh, Hurricane Ida, um, this, this Category 4 storm hit in the Gulf, and then Three days later, overland, it was still almost hurricane strength by the time it got to Hudson Valley and did a massive flooding damage uh, throughout. I live in the town of LaGrange. Our town lake was was destroyed twice last year from that. And then the other thing that is that we think about is that it causes extreme weather events even, you know, more variable than they were in the past. And this summer, you know, we missed all the rain. We had eight weeks of really pretty intense drought to the point where Minnewaska State Park was on fire. And uh, those sort of, you know, a wet year followed by a completely dry year are things that we would expect. And and that's very challenging to build infrastructure that works around that. So we have to think about how we build more resilient infrastructure to handle these kind of giant swings. Yeah, we're having more and more intense weather here in, in the region. As you mentioned, that one wildfire in that park. Uh, we've also had one not too far away happening at the same time in the beginning, uh, which was the fire in Wurtsboro. You are the coordinator of the Hudson Valley Citizens Climate Lobby. What needs to be done at the federal level to help secure meaningful climate solution policy here in the Hudson Valley? 
Yeah, absolutely. And let me just talk a little bit about the organization and then we'll talk about the solutions that have happened and ones that we will get to. First off, uh, Citizens Climate Lobby is this uh, all-volunteer um, organization. There's a small national professional staff, but it's mostly volunteer driven. And it's about engaging everyday members of the public with their elected officials, especially Congress, to push for meaningful climate legislation. Because there's a lot of ways to address the climate crisis. There's a lot of different tools different parts of government have, but um, there's one tool that only Congress has, which is the ability to spend money. They, uh, it's written in the constitution, they have the power of the purse, they're the ones that set the budgets. And so if we need funding for things, it has to come out of Congress. And so like not Congress not working on climate's not really an option. Really excitingly, um, just a month ago, the Inflation Reduction Act passed and um, you wouldn't know by its name, but actually the majority of the spending in that bill is for climate solutions. And a bunch of that's for making clean energy really cheap, um, tax credits for wind, solar at the industrial scale, but also um, at the personal scale, like uh, extension of solar tax credits for your roof for the next 10 years. And a bunch of money uh, in, in the form of tax credits and some upfront rebates for lower income folks to electrify your homes and get them off fossil fuels. So um, that includes like upgrading your electrical service so that you could install heat pumps um, within your home, um, installing heat pumps, heat pump hot water heaters, uh, which means that you can stop burning very expensive fuel oil in your home and actually uh, use electricity instead, as well as some electric vehicle tax credits and such. And these all together, like this was the biggest climate bill the US has ever passed. It's actually the biggest climate bill any country has ever passed. So it's great news. Altogether, that will take us about 40% reduction of emissions from the all-time peak in the US by 2030. Like it's a good start. If we want to actually stop every year being the warmest year on record, we need to stop burning fossil fuels basically entirely, ideally by less, by before 2050. So we have to do better than 40%. We have to get down at least 90% from our peak. And then maybe the last 10%, we can net out with some additional carbon capture trees, whatever. There's some different ways to, to handle that. What that means is we have this big solution that came out. It's got a bunch of great incentives for people. It's going to make clean energy cheap. We need to do more on top of it. And we need to do other things that that work with it. And one of them uh, that we advocate for quite a lot in Citizens Climate Lobby is a price on pollution itself, right? You know, like when you burn dirty fuels that creates health impacts your neighborhood as well as climate impacts your neighborhood that causes these flooding events. And so um, it would be best if polluters paid a fee um, and that fee could be used either to invest in further clean energy or directly redistributed to households to help them through this energy transition. So uh, that's something that we definitely see is needed going forward on top of what we got. But I think people should really look into all of these kind of amazing tax credits and rebates that were put forward from Congress. They most of them take effect January 1st this year in ways that will make it much cheaper and easier to you know, clean up your home. Uh, and have cheaper energy. I do have to say in the past couple of years here in Sullivan County, this has been a large increase of companies come in and uh, install solar panels to create a community solar 
places where people who maybe can't get solar panels on their homes can buy into a solar panel farm, uh, for lack of a better word, and uh, have a discount on their electrical bill. And also Bethel, New York has been, I believe, was listed bronze in the being a climate smart community. So uh, Sutherland County is making strides uh, locally to try to, you know, meet those new uh, uh, guidelines that uh, the New York State is trying to reach. The Climate Solutions Week is happening. It starts, kicks off tonight, and it has a full week of conferences, workshops, talks, uh, some in person, some in Zoom. Let's talk about some of the ones that you are directly involved with. Yeah, for sure. So um, we're going to be tabling at a couple of events, actually at the um, coming up in East Fishkill's Community Day this Saturday, as well as next Saturday at the Mohonk Preserve. There's going to be uh, a tabling event with a bunch of different environmental organizations. Um, that's great. Uh, and those are listed on the uh, HV uh, Climate Solutions website. Next week, I'm actually giving a talk at the Boardman Library in Poughkeepsie, which will be a hybrid event. It'll be in-person and virtual, so accessible to everyone within the region. And uh, the name of the talk is a, a View from the Clean Energy Future. A lot of folks, when we're talking about climate, we often talk about all of the dangers and disasters that will come out of it. And those are all important, and we need to remember those. But what I don't think we talk about enough is what this future will look like once we have transitioned away from dirty energy. Like, what does your house actually look like then? How do you get around? How do you power the things in your life that you enjoy? And uh, it turns out that we know a lot of what that's going to look like because those things basically all exist today, right? Solar panels, batteries, electric vehicles, induction stoves, and heat pumps and it's really helpful to give people this vision to understand that this clean energy future is not only a thing that we have to do to address the climate crisis but it's just an awesome thing like it's a better future it's a future where uh energy costs less your home has cleaner air uh it's a quieter environment you can hear the birds better like it's all of these things um and so this talk really is to try to paint that picture of what is that future actually going to look like and then how are all the ways that we can accelerate it to bring it as fast as possible especially ensuring right this future is already accessible to folks with plenty of money but what it's but the important thing is a just transition this future this cleaner future needs to be available for everybody so what are the policies that we need and actions that we need to make sure that this is equitable and that everybody has access to this pretty awesome clean energy future. Given access to those who might not have uh, means to have this newer technology to set for, unless you're super rich, to have a Tesla, to have uh, the means to go fully green in some instances with your home or or other other instances in your life. And he said the tax credits from New York State uh, do help with that. One of the things that I hear the most as far as critics when it comes to clean energy and this push that New York State is having now with uh, electric cars, uh, heat pumps, and everything else is the sort of the waste that is can come from this new technology and mainly batteries. That's the biggest critique I hear about what about all these batteries that we are creating and for this new technology and they are going to waste? And are we just swapping out one danger for another danger? 
And like one example, another example is like the solar panels that have been put into Sullivan County have a shelf life, according to some of the paperwork that I've seen, of 25 years. And what happens after that? What are your thoughts on that? So, no, that's a great question. And so, um, you know, part of it, we got to remember, right? Like if we're going to build anything. Um, it requires some amount of extracting, getting raw materials to build that thing and then building it. And then like, what is its whole life cycle, right? Um, and that's true for, you know, a solar panel. Um, it's also true for an oil well. And when we think about waste, we need to make sure we're thinking about the, the whole picture, right? So like, so yes. So solar panels today, when a project developer is doing them, they largely pencil them as under the assumption that they will have an effective lifespan of 25 years and that's what they guarantee for the the course of the project and what that really means is that they are still producing uh energy that's like at least 90 percent of what they were when they got put in it doesn't mean at 25 years like they're not useful anymore they may extend way past that and we're actually not really sure how far past that and i think you know we should take take our lessons from you know, the little rovers we stuck on Mars, we thought were going to last 90 days and did 12 years. We're like, oh, right. Turns out that sometimes we're really better at making things than we realized. But we talk about waste, right? So one of the great things about solar panels, batteries, is that um, you've built them and you don't just like burn them and turn them into smoke, which is what we do when we extract oil, gas, natural gas. And there's a huge waste stream that comes out of those. And then the last thing I'll say about batteries in particular, because I've been having a lot of, this is always like one of the number one questions people have about like, what happens to the batteries when when they're no good anymore? Well, it turns out like lithium is highly recyclable. What that really means is, you know, it's going to take us probably 30 years to get enough lithium out of the system, uh, like built out into batteries in the system. And then after that point, it's going to be a largely a circular economy. That lithium is all going to be recycled. Um, there was actually some reporting in Bloomberg this past week that said there is more battery recycling capacity right now than batteries to be recycled because the batteries in electric cars are lasting longer than people had predicted. Um, that's good news for all of us, bad news for the recyclers, but it's also good news that like we will not have to be concerned if there's a recycling stream, like there is a recycling stream. And these things, unlike plastics, actually have a real way to recycle this metal into new batteries that will uh, power the next generation of cars. Where can folks get more information on um, where all the workshops are happening, how to get them, how to get involved in them, how to get on Zoom? Where, where do they, can they go? Yes, great. So there, so we have a consolidated uh, website for the in, in the entire week, and it's uh, hvclimatesolutionsweek.org. Um, no spaces, no dashes, hvclimatesolutionsweek.org. And you can go there, and all of the events by all the organizations are listed. It kicks off. Uh, like you said, later today with this Hudson Valley Climate Action Network event at Basilica Hudson. And then there's events running both weekends and the week in between. And I would just say, go check them out. Um, some of them are virtual. And so you can attend from home. Others are, you know, in physical space uh, across the Hudson Valley. And so you should be able to find something close to you that that matches your interests. And like say, you, you know, we talked about briefly about the sort of the economic ramifications of not paying attention to climate change. And we're here to celebrate Catskills, have great resources. We have the lakes, the rivers. They are tourist attractions. So if we let those resources go to waste and are destroyed, that could hurt us economically. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing which is, 
you know, as someone who's been, um, has made the Hudson Valley my home over the last 25 years, like what is special about this place is how nature and the environment interplays with our everyday lives. And that they, it is special here. And I think it's, you know, even more so as we think about what are the consequences if we don't really address the climate crisis, it is, you know, what do we, what do we lose here? And I think we all want, you know, the Catskills to remain the amazing place to go engage with nature that it is today. Right. And like I said, that would hurt us locally here economically. Absolutely. Like it makes it very personal uh, and local. And I, I think across these events, all your listeners would be able to find something that really resonates with them about how they would want to engage and be part of the solution. Sean, before we go, is there anything else I have not touched on that you want our listeners to know about, about Climate Solutions Week? I think I would just come back to say what everyone needs to realize is that even if you don't, I deal with a lot of volunteers that are engaging for the first time and they're they're trying to ask themselves, you know, I am just this one person. There's, It's not really possible for me to have an impact on the world. Um, and that's not true, right? Like the way that we build movements and the way that we're going to solve this is together. And it takes all of us taking even small steps. And when we do that together, we are a movement and we will change the world. And so again, like find what Hudson Valley Climate Solutions Week is about is letting people know there are so many solutions here and different people are going to resonate with different ones. And that's great. Find the thing that you get really excited about, engage with it. And if you do that, and if everybody does that, uh, that's how we will change the world, make it a much more livable place, and ensure a future for ourselves and for our children. Climate Solutions Weeks begins today with a list of workshops and talks to let you know how you can get involved and be part of the solution. For more information, visit hvclimatesolutionsweek.org. HV climatesolutionsweek.org. We were talking to Sean Daig, coordinator of the Hudson Valley Citizens Climate Lobby, talking about Climate Solutions Week. Sean, thank you so much for joining us. I do really appreciate it. And we hope to have you back on again soon. Great. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Robayo.